Hello, my name's Jonathan Douglas. I'm director of the National Literacy Trust. Um, this year is our 25th anniversary. And to celebrate our 25th anniversary, we're hosting a number of podcasts with fantastic writers who are creating a new generation of readers with their books. And today it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome the the, the megastars <laughs> of the Radio One Airways, um, Greg James and Chris Smith. Greg and Chris, welcome. Thank you, thank you. And happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to the whole thing. Yeah, it is. We've committed to birthday. birthday, National Literacy Trust. Happy birthday to you and many more. Gosh, well, that, that, that's, that's made me glow with pride <laughs> in, in an inward way. Um, th- thank you very, very much. And congratulations to the two of you on Kid Normal and Kid Normal and the Rogue Heroes. Thank Secret, you. They are the most fabulous books. I read them last week on, on holiday, Ra- rattled through them, guffawed through them. They are they're really, really brilliant reads. Well, thank you. It's been a very peculiar couple of years, hasn't it, <laughs> since we sat in Regent's Park and and chatted over uh, a silly idea that we'd had for a children's book and got very excited about it and I'm not sure it's quite sunk in yet that we're kind of looking at you with copies of (laughs) our two books on the table in front of you. Yeah, it's been been a very strange couple of days as well because the American version came out yesterday, oh. and this is a fully Americanized version of it with a and, new. And how has it been Americanized? What's the well, they, they, lots of the re- cultural reference points have been changed. Lots of the jokes have slightly been altered. Lots of the you know corridors been changed to hallway, and uh, mum is now mom, and those sorts of things. So we've had a very strange couple of days, and it seems to just be this thing that we we are just constantly surprised by it, and, and that's a really that's a really nice thing to say, isn't it? I suppose. But the, there is something extraordinary about the books because, as I say, I rattled through them, guffawed through them because they are they are more enjoyable than virtually any other book because they're, they're, they've got a sense of interactivity. They're, they're almost impossible not to read aloud, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, they're definitely, uh, by the way, more enjoyable than any other book. It's quite a good strong director of National <laughs> Yes, strong praise we, we, we need that for the, the cover of book three. Yeah. Oh, there will be a book three. Okay, <laughs> there is. We're writing book three at the moment. Um, but talking about reading aloud, um, they, I mean, as you'll have, as you'll have noticed reading through it, um, they are absolutely designed so that they're fun to read aloud and read together because that's something that I've always enjoyed doing with my son who's now 11 years old and still do with him as well. Uh, my wife's just finished reading his Dark Materials to him and they well, read all together. Books. All three books. Gosh. Yeah, she because she'd never that's read them either. Bedtimes. So there were tears at the end. It was quite incredible. <laughs> Some 2 a.m. Um, bedtimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. Um, but, you know, I always really enjoyed that kind of interactive fun time and really laughing together when we were reading something funny, reading um, All Join In by Quentin Blake or something in their poems and, and, and just really making him guffaw. That's, it's kind of an easy out as a parent, isn't it, that you can be the world's best stand-up comedian just by <laughs> just by reading Mr. Gum well, to that, your kid. But that that's exactly what you what you do, don't you? Because you give almost stage directions for reading aloud, don't you? So you we kind do. of say, you, you know, don't skip this bit or, you know, here's a couple of surreal pages which don't have much to do with the plot but you'll really, really enjoy. We really like working together on the radio and doing our podcast and everything and it's very much a bare bones type thing anyway. We really like showing the listeners behind the scenes and showing the workings every now and then we think it it adds another dimension to the radio show or the podcast so we did the same thing with our books really we, we like the idea that they know we're there with them yeah, yes, sort yeah. of conducting them and kind of going right now open the window and shout i am the king of the pineapple people yes. that sort of thing we, we like the idea of 
of inclusivity and everyone sort of mucking in together. And that's sort of the beauty of doing a, a radio show is that you do half the work and the listeners do the other half. And we approached the book in a very similar way. We we did half the work in you know the story and the and setting some of the scenes, but they have to do the other half of the work. They have to imagine what they think the school looks like or what is Mr. Flash's voice or what does the banshee sound like, those sorts of things. So that's something magical that we really love. We like putting half of it out there and then they do the rest. And the kids really seem to like, especially if we discover this in the live shows that we do as well, I think the kids really like the idea that authors are not frightfully serious people <laughs> telling them a morally improving tale. <laughs> authors are silly and fun friends who have an exciting story to tell them yeah. that we can all join in with together. <laughs> and, you know, authors can occasionally break into the text and go, we're leaving a cliffhanger here <laughs> just to be really irritating. Yeah. And kids really seem to, to, to like that. And I think it's a great message that, you know, an author is not some otherworldly weird person mm. that sits off in a tower or in a very literary cafe or something. An author is something that you, that you can be, which is why we say at the end of the book, you know, we hope you've enjoyed our story. Now go and write your own. I was talking to Cresta Cow last week and she said, she said the aim of my book, she said, is that, 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 that books feel like a bag of sweets, not a bottle of medicine. Yeah. And I think that, that's the point, isn't oh, it? Oh, completely. We, we, had, uh, we went to a hay festival a couple of weeks ago and very it was literary. Uh, very, very literary. Clang, dropping a literary name there. <laughs> and it was really... It's a wonderful thing and it's got great heritage and tradition and the kids that were there uh, in this show just absolutely loved it and we loved doing it and they were so engaged with the whole thing. And afterwards, some of the parents came up to us and said, you know, it's extraordinary, your show is not, it's, you're not sitting up there telling everyone how you became writers. You're encouraging everybody else to go and be a writer and you're not sitting there in a suit and kind of going, well... Gosh, it's very hard when I was doing book three. It's a struggle, you know. You... Oh, the edits. Oh, bless me, the edits. <laughs> it's hard, this. And my editor's been emailing me every day. You know, the kids don't care about that. No. They really do. They don't even know what a publishing house is. Yeah. And that's great because what they do know about is what a good story is. And I think that's what we want to celebrate as much as we can going forward. And I feel, I feel like we've just scratched the surface, really, with, um, with these two books. Uh, and and the, the the other dimension of these books is the illustrations. The illustrations are really really great. Um, is the illustrator um, Erica, isn't it? Yeah, Erica Salcedo. Yeah. That's the one. Is is Erica kind of part of the inner workings of this, or to, is is it that in the beginning is the word, and then Erica comes <laughs> along and you know brings the word alive? Well, we had that really exciting moment when we had uh, begun to write the story. You have this, you know, talking about a bag of sweets, you know. Being an author is a bag of sweets sometimes as well, isn't it? You get to, you know, a, a succession of massively exciting things. And one of the most exciting things was um, a few different illustrators do samples for you if you're very, very lucky enough to get published. And, you know, they have uh, these sketches to say, this is what I think this character looks like. This is what I think this character looks like. This is what I think this character looks like. And we were looking at a, looking at a few sketches. And Erica, who um, uh, she lives in Spain, actually. She lives in Cuenca, just outside Madrid. She had done a sketch of Mary, who's uh, the character from the book, mm. uh, Mary Perkins, who can fly with an umbrella. <laughs> For copyright reasons, she has nothing to do with Mary Poppins, who is a copyright of the Disney Corporation. Erica had done a, a, a sketch of Mary, and we both looked at it, and we just said, oh, my goodness, that's Mary. Mm. It's as if she'd looked into our brains and taken a photograph. And we just knew then, you know, Erica absolutely gets the story and gets the characters and you just she was really instantly kind of 
a part of Team Normal, wasn't she? She just seemed yeah. to get it instinctively. And it's and it was her first children's book that she'd illustrated, and I think it was a really lovely challenge for her as well, and something new for her. And I thought it was really great that we were launching as two new authors, and we were sort of launching her as a brand new children's illustrator in in this sort of uh, storybook world. And uh, and we didn't meet her until the book launch, and that was really a magical moment where we went, <gasps> we just knew, we yeah. just went. Uh, it's Erica. Really? And we just went up and went, thank you. Did thank Erica you. look like one of her illustrations? I mean, that <laughs> yeah, she did. She, does. she, she, she looked. She has huge eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and she looked weird, weirdly wasp-like. She was, yeah, she modelled nectar on herself. Well, 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 we kind of jumped ahead of ourselves a bit because what you haven't had a chance to do is actually just explain some of the premises behind the books. Yes. Um, go on, introduce them. Pitch the books. Well... <laughs> Kid Normal is the story of a young boy called Murph Cooper who, uh, on its most basic level, he gets enrolled into a school for young superheroes by accident. And by the time he's worked out what's happening to him, it's too late. He knows too much. He can't leave because he has all the secrets. He's made a couple of friends. And then the rest of the story is how that unfolds and how he has to try and fit in with these, in inverted commas, super children um, and then we realise that normality is what wins the day and you don't need superpowers to be a hero is the message of the of the whole book. And it really stemmed from an idea that Chris had when he was on holiday with his uh, with his son. Yeah, he was off to play uh, football and he doesn't really like football. We're not a football-y family. And, but the kids club that day was football and he was just really worried and said, oh, all the other kids are going to be good at something and, you know, I'm not going to be any good at it. And I chatted to Greg about this and we both remembered that feeling that kind of first day at school feeling that everybody else has got a thing you know there's yeah. the funny kid or the brilliantly naughty kid who everyone thinks is you know incredibly cool and there's the massively clever brainy kid and you have that feeling of you know well what's my what is my thing and then we thought about children's stories and so many children's stories the main protagonist discovers that they're a princess or for instance, <laughs> for instance, a wizard. You know, that's 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 your example, Jonathan. Not necessarily mine. <laughs> and we really uh, remember being children very well, and we really wanted to explore the idea of a story where the hero didn't discover that they were. Uh, a prince, or I mean, to to use your example, a wizard. <laughs> oh, plucking, plucking from You're going to get us in so much trouble, Jonathan. <laughs> there are many books with wizards, many books. With wizards. And many. Uh, and the, the, and that what they had inside them was enough, and they didn't need to discover the door to a magical kingdom mm. or a secret school <laughs> that you go to on a steam train. Well, this and that was it. We we wanted to we transported that football idea into a school, and we just thought, well. Imagine the school was so heightened that it wasn't just the clever kid at maths. It was someone who could fly or someone who had a crazy power that could um, change the weather or whatever it might be. So that was how Kid Normal came about. It was the the, the, the feeling that Im immediately I, I, I flashed back to was just feeling small. I remember feeling small and just going, I am never going to be as big as that person. I'm never going to... How am I, I... I just... I remember vividly at secondary school looking at a kid who was getting into his car in the sick form and driving home and just going, how am I ever going to be that? I'm 11. There's no way that I'm going to be able to drive a car. <laughs> but we should point out, you know, I think we're in danger of making it sound like it, it's there's some moral message or something. There's some <laughs> metaphor at play here. We should also point out that it is 
an incredibly stupid book full of mm. silliness and uh, and joy, hopefully, because yeah. the world of superheroes is, uh, as has been discovered before us, but we have certainly had a lot of fun with it, is ripe for uh, a bit of silliness and uh, and rib tickling. Well, it's, it's, sorry, just to interrupt. It's, it's definitely it's a gentle mockery of a superhero story yeah, because yeah. there are... Uh, at the last count, 87 million superhero stories, <laughs> and and it was it, there's so many tropes that you can play off, and we loved playing off them, and uh, and, and exploring those. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is an explosion of enormously good fun. It's a, but like, yeah, at the heart of it, as you say, is that sense of, gosh, you know, what it feels like to be a kid. You want to fit in. At the same time, you want to be different. Mm. And that balance is, is kind of the, the difficulty for a lot of kids, isn't it, really? Mm. So yeah. actually, that truth at the heart of it makes the fun even stronger. Well, thanks you for saying that. That's <laughs> why we were leading you. But we do love, you know, we do love silly things. We yeah. we have a mutual love of Monty Python and Faulty Towers and those sorts of things and old comedies like that. But we also like sweet stories and we are softies and we are, you know, quite sappy at times and we both love Coldplay and we you know, we but we both <laughs> but we both we both like warm-hearted stories but you can do both very very well. Absolutely. And so 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 come on, tell tell us how it works. I mean, Two people writing a book together. I mean, I, I, I suppose from this conversation, I'm beginning to see the dynamic which could create this. But but yeah, just just to talk us through the the typical writing morning, which the two of you might. Have. <laughs> well, it's usually a typical writing evening because yeah. okay, right, we <laughs> we kind of have day jobs, so <laughs> it's uh, it's normally a writing evening, uh, and we literally kind of play tag with the laptop. So we will sit in a room together. We've got uh, a room above a, uh, a pub near where we work, which is quite handy because it's normally empty in the evenings. Mm. Uh, or we're, we're, you know, we've written all over the place. You know, when we've been out away at, at festivals and stuff. But um, one of us will have the laptop, and we will say, "Well, shall I do a little bit of tappy tap?" <laughs> and the other one will kind of march around the room, and we'll do the voices together. And it's, you know, actually fun. Writing, yeah. writing a book, which has been really like nice message to bring to yeah. bring to our readers as well to say like yeah. writing a book is not yeah I mean obviously obviously it's difficult at times and there are times when we've had to sit down separately and go oh my goodness I've got to crack on and I've got to get you know ten thousand words done because we're on deadline but for the most part you know the really good bits that we will remember about writing mm -hmm. the book are the fun bits where we've been having <clears> fun together and we've had a you know we've done the scenes you know in the first book between Nectar and Nicholas Knox I think you can really tell that they've yeah. been they've been acted out and they've been they've come from kind of i was i'm leading myself towards the word improv here but no it's true but, but that's it is, yeah. but that's what we, we both do like improvising and that's why we do stuff on the radio together and that's how we created things and that's how we i've written scripts with people before and whether it be comedy sketches or comedy scripts or whatever and we approached this in the exact in exactly the same way is that actually Historically, people don't write books together, but why not? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we've never written a book together before. So we thought, well, let, let's use what we do know already on how to write a script or an idea or you know, a, a radio piece or whatever and apply that to a book. And actually, it seems to have worked so far. Well, it, it's kind of obviously sparked an enormous creative stream, which is, 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 is genius to watch. But it's... Is it a bit of a, was it a bit of a surprise to you that writing a book was so much fun? Because as you say, the traditional image of an author is you know locked in normally a shed for some reason. Yeah, that's you know, right. Experiencing mm. block and you know kind of <laughs> plugging away. But what you're describing is is basically enormously good fun. Yeah, I think everyone wants to be Shakespeare, don't they? I think that's it. I think you kind of think, well, that's how it should be. But shed think, in Stratford-on-Avon yeah, was yeah. where it all happened. 
imagine how much fun Shakespeare writing must have been, though, with Absolutely. a company with a company of players, and you can tell the parts. You know, the the Porter and Macbeth. He's like, yeah. there's obviously a guy, isn't there? There was obviously a guy who was a friend of Shakespeare, and he's you know saying. Oh, I've got. Is there a bit in it for me? Oh yes. Oh, I've done you a funny porter who burps. It's incredible. You'll love it. There's a bit about an English tailor. It's gonna slay him. It's great. And that you know. So I think that probably was kind of a collaborative, a collaborative writing process. I think you um. We haven't got an author shed yet, have we? I think no. you know you you've made it when you get the shed. Yes, yeah. That's or or that you've lost it. <laughs> well, we, we live, you lost in showbiz. We actually live quite near to each other in North London, so we're thinking of. Uh, Depending on how the next two books go, and the, the American one, we might get a tunnel built between our houses. But we'll get a tunnel dug underneath underneath London. Chocolate-like creativity. <laughs> Love it. I mean, obviously, there are there are parts where you get stuck and you don't know what happens next, and there are times when there's lots of lots of book to write, and you know, it's not always the it's not the easiest job in the world. No, but. I think the, the stuff that we really want to share about it and particularly to share with children about it is is the fun part because if that far outweighs the difficult bits where you've got edits to do or you're mm. or you're a little bit stuck and I think we really want to portray writing uh, you know as being a really fun rewarding thing to do uh, and I think I don't know where it really comes from this this sort of trope of the lonely writer, you know, in a yeah, garret yes. with a... Well, it's romantic, I suppose, isn't it? it? Very in, romantic, in that old-fashioned yeah. way. Is that, that's why people think of the tortured artist or they think of the tortured singer-songwriter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually, why not just have some fun with your friends and write some music or whatever? And I think that's what we wanted to really get across. And as Chris said, it obviously, every job has its difficulties and every job has those days. Even on the radio, I go, I really can't be bothered today. Yeah, yeah. But the, everyone has those sorts of moments. But the, the positives far outweigh the negatives with this sort of thing because we get to tour it around and we get to meet kids on the, at the signings and all that kind of stuff and it's and do things like this this yeah. is really uh, to do a podcast like this is really fun talking about it so the, the, there's, there are those moments where you go I don't know what chapter 20 is now I have no idea but you push through it and and uh, and, and you get to do really great stuff afterwards so, so my hunch would be your top tips to kids about writing would be number one enjoy it absolutely yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, telling stories is the one of the first skills that <laughs> that kind of elevated humans above the other animals. It's <laughs> kind of the and we and it's something that we do not only for instruction, but we do it for fun. You well, know, that's, get that's true. The... Of course, I mean, you know, you're you're a journalist. Your background is the news. Mm. Telling stories makes sense of who we are. Yeah, doesn't it, really? all to, all telling stories is 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 connecting people together. Mm. That's all on a fundamental level. That's all the news is. And that's all books are, and that's all stories are, is mm. get bringing people together. It's a social activity. And, you know, because of that, it, it reinforces those kind of really lovely human bonds that we that we feel so important for kind of good mental health. Uh, and everything is feeling socially connected to the rest of the world. Mm. And, and, and did the kind of the, the, the discovery that you could be writers come as a surprise to you? Or actually, I don't think it did because I was told, Chris, that you that there was a, an early novella. Oh yes, um, where are the brandy snaps? <laughs> yes, so which, you're well informed. Rather fabulous. Sounds well, like a Ricardo I mean, delivery gone wrong. I've had, I've had to try and keep this out of the book so many times. By the way, <laughs> yes, uh, I mean I don't like to blow my own trumpet, but you've kind of blown it for me. Uh, I was the winner of the H.E. Bates short story competition. 1981 with my tale Where Are the Brandy Snaps uh, about a young boy 
called Chris, who found uh, who found an egg uh, on the banks of a stream in the Lake District, and it hatched into a small dinosaur. Uh, who loved Brandy Snaps. <laughs> yeah. When we're out of ideas for book four, that's in. <laughs> it's I, always I good. Think that's, I'm, I'm surprised Bloomsbury haven't actually... It's Well, it's been, it's been options. It's, it's been, been options. options. I'm pleased to... I, I won £12.50 worth of book tokens and splashed out uh, on a, a boxed set of the Chronicles of Narnia, oh, which I still wow. have. Great. Yeah. A box set for twelve fifty. I know those were the days. And leaving the front door open. <laughs> and, and, and Greg, what about you? I mean, is this your first foray into to, to writing, or has, has there been? No. Um, uh, well, I suppose at school and university, I was more into the performing side of stuff. So I was big into drama, and I was big into playing Jeeves in Jeeves and Worcester, and those sorts of things. So I, I, I loved you performing. Were Jeeves. I was Jeeves. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. I, I like to think of good Jeeves. I imagine so. Obviously I not imagine not Stephen Fry level of Jeeves, but you know, <laughs> nearly. Um, and uh, so it's it definitely performing, but writing sketches and skits. And then at university, I started writing plays and things and those sorts of bits that you had to do for your right, right. for your degree and everything. So it was that. And then I've, I've written a few uh, comedy shorts. I did one on BBC iPlayer a few years ago, and um, and just in, and and bits for the show essentially so we've just done little sketches or shorts whatever and um it was just a love of reading really and performing and doing plays and treading the boards and so all it's, that. it's the spoken word that got you in isn't yeah it? So I, I suppose so yeah. and then that's and radio and storytelling through the radio i think things like weirdly i draw a lot of inspiration from things like test match special um yeah. because they, that is the most that is the purest form of radio storytelling where you obviously can't see anything and you just have to imagine everything and then you've got these amazing voices saying well there's a pigeon over there or the bus goes down the Harleford Road or as uh, Andy Caddick runs into bowl and all those and that and that's so I've always been really fascinated with audio and and radio so with our powers combined I think it's you know I fill in Chris's blanks and Chris does the same for me so So you are you are his Bertie Worcester to his Jeeves. Yes, absolutely. Maybe. Fantastic. Yeah. Maybe because we're both so obliging. Perhaps we're Jeeves and Jeeves. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, a, a, a comedy butler double act. Yeah. But then when we started talking about what we both <clears throat> enjoyed as kids or young adults reading, we um, there were, there's lots of overlap. So a, a mutual love of P.G. Woodhouse, for example, obviously a mutual love of Roald Dahl and those sorts of things. Chris, is, Chris veers more into... I'd say the fantasy realm a little bit more. Huge nerd, yeah, <laughs> huge nerd. And and I and, uh, and and I sort of I suppose I I I like um, well I suppose I like old comedies <laughs> and comedy scripts, and I was sort of would obsess over the Faulty Towers scripts and the Monty Python yeah. scripts yeah. and all those sorts of the things. The economy of that writing is amazing, isn't it? The, the, and yeah, yes. And, the, and when you look at those. Faulty Towers script books, which I do still regularly, yeah. they are just mind blowing. Yeah. That that was 1974 or five. It's yeah. just uh, it's better than pretty much anything that's on now. <laughs> well, g- g- going back to the, the world of, of Kid Normal, um, I, I want to explore the the capes thing because it is so much fun. And I've heard now kids discussing what capes they would have. I mean, this is clearly you know, the, the 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 superhero capability sits at the, the heart of it. Um, t- tell me a bit about about. I mean, this Hilda. I mean, Hilda's little <laughs> horse is absolutely my favourite. Tell me where these capabilities came from. So, okay, so um, in in the world of Kid Normal, um, cape 
uh, a superhero's cape is not their cape they wear. It's, uh, as Jonathan says, short for capability, uh, and it is your your superpower. And we really got a kick out of this idea that when people have superpowers in previous stories, they all just seem to have really useful superpowers. They would have super strength or they could fly or, you know, they could shoot laser beams out of their eyes. But we thought, well, if, if that randomly happens to people for whatever reason, why are they all useful? Why don't people have really random capabilities? Why can't someone just shoot soup out of their wrists or <laughs> accidentally balloon different parts of their body? And And how do they all... How can they all innately control the capabilities really well? Like when you can, if you're a superhero, can fly, how can you suddenly just fly really well? So we had this double idea of, you know, capes, capabilities sort of manifesting themselves in kids when you're about 10 years old. But you would have to go to school to learn to to hide it, basically, because otherwise the world would just think you were a freak. Uh, and in tandem with that, this idea that some of the capes that they would have would not be able to fl- be being able to fly or shoot laser beams out of eyes, they would be being able to produce two tiny horses as if from nowhere. Uh, So so that's Hilda, who uh, is, I I think, a lot of people's favorite character in the books because she's just she's a such a lovely, cool, feisty girl um, and is so proud of her capability that all the teachers at the school, Mr. Flash in particular, the capability training teacher, he thinks it's the most useless thing he's ever heard. But Hilda thinks she is absolutely awesome, you know, as all kids should do. Yeah. And, you know, we love her kind of real self-confidence and her pride and her love of her two tiny horses. And, and if anyone's going to blow it, it's her. Yes. She She's the one that wants to be loud and proud and wear the costume yeah. and get out there and be like, I am a superhero. But she's the one that they've got to kind of, you know, keep under keep under control. She's she's fabulous, but but the uh, the the other capability I love is Mrs. Fletcher. So I started my life off as a librarian. <laughs> I started my life off as a librarian, and to find a librarian in a book for me is always a moment of pure joy. <laughs> but to find a librarian with a superhero capability that, as a librarian, I would have found immensely useful is particularly exciting. Yeah, well, Mrs. Fletcher's a real person. No, she was my school no. librarian, and I I haven't managed to get in contact with her to say well, she may listen she, I hope she does yeah she um, she <laughs> she was she is a wonderful librarian and I spent a lot of time in the library uh, just studying it was definitely the place to go on a free period at school when you were in the sixth form it was a bit exciting I was like you get to go and just sit in the library this is amazing so we, we got to know Mrs Fletcher quite well and it's just I just always thought of it as such a difficult job. <laughs> You've got teenagers uh, you no who idea. just don't want to shut up. No I don't want to shut up. No, no one wants to be quiet in the library, especially at school. And I just thought uh, um, the one change I would say in this book is that in real life, I don't think she has a foghorn as a head. Well, I don't know. I've not spoken to her for a few years. She may well have done by now. She might hunt you down. But yeah, the idea of, of when she gets really angry, uh, head, her head turns into a massive foghorn is uh, <laughs> it's like that. It still still makes me laugh. That's brilliant. Um, just as, as a, a final um, parry, um, if you had to choose a capability for each other, yeah, mm. what, what would that what would that capability be? <laughs> Great. Go on then. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, okay. 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 Um, well, I I know uh, I know that Chris is obsessed with uh, clocks. True. And particularly the clocks that are incorrect. Yes, public. Ooh. Public. You're, I've complained Ooh. to you about this on many occasions. Ooh. A clock in a public place 
So you got me. You got me going now. Yeah. So you know uh, when you're going through like a town centre and there's a big sort of Victorian clock, or on the outside of a bank or on a clock tower or whatever, and it's telling the wrong time. I just I think that is indicative of a society yeah. that has lost its way. <laughs> it's like, it's misinformation yeah, at the most fundamental because level. Because somebody, somebody somewhere has lost their, their sense of civic responsibility, which is what we all need. And their sense of time and place. And oh, indeed, gosh. quite literally, their sense of time. Yeah. You know, if you are responsible for a clock on a public building, <laughs> you must, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you make sure the clock tells the right time? So, so the capability so, so, required so the, the, cap- is... the capability is he would be able to just go past that clock and, it, and just give it a, give it a, a click or a... A, 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 I'd like a, a grand gesture, I think. Yeah, yeah. a grand gesture. I think a pizzazz. A yeah. bit of pizzazz. The yeah. arms flap towards the oh, clock, really? yeah, right. and suddenly okay. it doesn't just alter by the hour, it spins wildly. <laughs> it spins <laughs> wildly, and f- sparks come off it, and That's flames, and all dog. sorts. And it's just a big, and then suddenly it's just there. It's, it's done. But it spins, I, I'd say it spins a good. 25 to 30 times. Oh, yeah, it's got to look dramatic and everyone's got to know that I've done it. And everyone's just, and it's yeah. sort of a, a thunderclap and everyone yeah. just goes, and, they all, and the whole townsfolk look towards the, the civic hall and go, what is happening? And that's it. It's, so you were, I, I could, call, there's lots of different names, but I would, yeah. I'd draw on a cricket reference and I'd call you Old Father Time. Oh, oh, oh thanks. Oh, I'm quite sure I'm the old, but you know. Okay, I, okay, I would call fine. you Young Father Time. Thank you very much. <laughs> Middle-aged Father Time, yeah. <laughs> Um, now return the compliment. If okay, compliment it was. Greg, I know you love to. I know you love to entertain, mm. and you you love to socialise, and you. I think you would be an excellent chef oh. because I think you would enjoy wowing people with your culinary skills. Right, right. So I will transform you into the dinner man. Oh, yes, the dinner man. What happens dinner with man. the dinner man? Well, the dinner man. You can you can name any dish. Just like at Blades Club in James Bond, you can you can speak for any dish, cheap or dear, and it will appear on a platter okay. magically before you. Oh, so I could just go and ask someone of their favourite dish, or yeah. Jonathan, what would you like to eat now? Um, at this precise moment, eggs Benedict, bang, and it would just be in front phenomenal, of you. wow, amazing, and here it is in front yeah. of me. I actually asked for the sauce on the side. Oh, hang on, let me take it back yeah, again. Sorry, yes, I went to the hollandaise. <laughs> <Yeah>. Brilliant. <laughs> And that's what I would do. I'd be the the, the dinner man. Do you want a theme tune? You should have a theme tune. Yeah, Please. definitely. Yes. Uh, dinner, 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 man. Great. There you go. So we have young father time and the dinner man. <laughs> well, yeah. coming soon. <laughs> well, yes. This this isn't a sequel. This is a parallel series. Yeah, yeah. Old father time. Dinner man. Greg James. Yeah, so young father time. Young father time. Thank you. Young father time. Um, Thank you so much for chatting to us today. It's been brilliant. And we're all looking forward to the next book. And write many, many more, please. We'll try. (laughs) But we're going to do more today. Great.